Hey, it's Carrie. Thank you for joining me on this latest episode of Invisible Wounds Healing from Trauma. So just a quick reminder that I'm not a clinician, counselor, or physician. I'm a certified trauma support specialist and also someone with lots of lived experience with trauma. So let's get into it. So today, we're going to look at defining trauma, hopefully in a real and relatable way that connects with you and maybe your experiences with it. So just what is trauma? I mean, I think we all kind of have a vague idea of what it is, and there's a lot of different ways to define it and describe it and explain it. What really matters is explaining it in a way that's not too clinical or full of jargon no one understands. So in the professional world, in the professional mental health and and physicians world, they use something called the DSM-5 or the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Health Disorders. This is the go-to for labeling different listed mental health issues. So you meet with a mental health professional or doctor, and according to their interpretation of the symptoms you describe to them, they diagnose you with one or more disorders referred to in the DSM-5. They prescribe a treatment and send you on your way. So, you know, it's like you come in with a broken arm, they put a cast on it, and you're done. Patient, diagnosis, treatment, next This can sometimes feel like a little bit of a limited point of view, especially when looking at a person's mental health. This thinking may also try to define trauma as one big bad event, when often many people have much more than one big bad event. So when dealing with all of the different things that can affect us mentally, emotionally, physically, and every other way, how do you fit that into a neat little box? You'll also hear some people describe trauma as big T or little t. This theory says that a big T trauma would be some huge traumatic event, such as the death of a loved one. A little t trauma might be the loss of a pet, or the breakup of a relationship. I don't really agree with this description. Our experiences of any disturbing, stressful, threatening, or upsetting event, and the importance we personally place on that event, dictates how that event affects us. And it is very personal. So I'll just give you a quick example of something that happened to me. My childhood was full of trauma, and if you listen to my first episode, you'll know. As a little kid, I was always afraid. So over time, I developed the thought process that everything was scary or overwhelming. I needed to be perfect, which was my way of trying to have some sort of control over my life. So something seemingly small, like, you know, say someone would laugh at me for something I said. This was really traumatizing for me. I had to work very hard just to try to fit in and keep that small little bit of control that I thought I had. So anything, even seemingly small things like that, can make little 
ticks in our brain. So visualize your brain, then visualize a check mark in your brain, one for every event, large or small, that has had an effect on you. Got a lot of check marks on that visual? Yep, me too. So I don't agree with classifying traumatic events as large or small. Really, they all affect us in our own way and add to the difficulties that we face. That's why it's so important, if you can, to try and find a professional who knows, uses, and treats you with a trauma-informed care approach. This view takes into account your mind, body, environment, history, everything that involves you as an individual seeking help. So what trauma is really? Is any event, large or small, where you feel that your personal safety or life is in immediate danger? It is an overwhelming demand placed on our entire system. When something happens to you, there's many things that contribute to your experience of it and how your brain and body respond to it. Something really interesting and a very important point is that how we learn and experience things has more to do with our environment in history rather than having someone tell us something, which is typically how we think we learn things. Particularly as children, we're sponges. We soak up everything around us, our environment, what our senses tell us, our experiences, the people in it, and the behavior they modeled for us. Everything shapes how we not only see the world, but how we see ourselves and our place in the world. What trauma also is, is instead of coming back as a memory of the event that was scary, upsetting, or whatever, it comes back as a physical reaction. Trauma is stored in our body. So that's why we have so many of the physical reactions that we do. So when we experience those type of things that are threatening to us in any way, physically, our brain kicks things off. It's preparing the body to react for survival. So hang on, bear with me here. The amygdala, or part of the brain that helps us control and process emotions, sends distress signals to the hypothalamus. This part of the brain communicates with the rest of the body by way of the autonomic nervous system. This system controls things like heart rate, breathing, blood pressure, all of our basic functions. This autonomic nervous system is divided into two parts, the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. So when the brain sends the distress signal, the sympathetic nervous system is automatically activated through signals sent to the adrenal glands. These glands pump hormones, especially one more commonly known as adrenaline, through the bloodstream. As the adrenaline floods our system, we feel physical changes. We breathe faster. We can feel our heartbeat speed up. We become more alert. Our brain and body are ready to respond to the threat. This triggers something called fight, flight, or freeze mode. What this means is that our body is ready to either fight back, run, 
or freeze in place until our brain decides the threat is over. I am a freezer. When something happens, I literally stop. I hold my breath and I can feel my muscles tighten. My heart beats faster. And I feel this weird rush or flood sensation throughout my brain and body. And it happens in an instant. I can only describe it as feeling like my brain has hijacked my body. Have you ever experienced this feeling? I'm kind of thinking a lot of you probably have. So when our sympathetic nervous system, which is our alert and danger system is running the show, it shuts down the front part of our brain, the thinking part that helps us sort through things logically things like organizing and planning and processing. Our survival brain is activated and our body sends all of its energy toward only our basic functions. Our brain is doing its job. It's doing what it's supposed to do to protect us. Our brain and body are completely connected and what happens to one happens to the other. But when we experience many bad, distressing, upsetting, scary, traumatizing events in our lives, particularly when things happen to us in childhood while our brains are still developing, that fight, flight, or freeze mode over time may not shut off at all. Remember that our thinking brain shuts down. We can experience a constant state of something called hypervigilance, which really just means that your brain is constantly on alert, scanning for danger. It never goes offline. So when lots of bad things happen to us, we've learned that a threat can come to us at any time, from anywhere, and from anyone. This kind of repeated stress is called toxic stress. And if we have a history of toxic stress and adversity, it can have long-term effects on both our brain and body. So as children, while our brains are still developing, experiencing this kind of constant stress actually changes the way our brains make connections. So think of a roadmap with all of the different connecting streets and highways. Our brains make connections like that called neural pathways. Under chronic or repeated stress, however, the brain throws up detours and roadblocks. It wires itself for survival. We'll really get into this much more in upcoming episodes. So as time goes on, we can physically have issues with high blood pressure, heart issues, gut issues. That's completely me. High blood sugar, inflammation anywhere in the brain or body, autoimmune disorders, the list goes on. This can also be a reason why we get panic attacks, even when nothing is happening. Out of the clear blue, bam, there it is. Our nervous system is in constant overdrive, and it's doing its job too well. It's warning us of danger when danger doesn't actually exist in that moment. How are our reactions, emotions, and basic functions affected? In so many ways. We can have trouble thinking, focusing, and concentrating. We can feel like we're foggy in our brains. We may feel that our reactions are slower. 
We may not be able to get started on tasks, or if we do, we might not stay on task or follow through. We might have trouble making decisions. We can lose the ability to be flexible in handling even the little things that come up on our day. When things do come up, we can catastrophize, which can feel like our minds going to the worst possible outcome we can imagine, kind of like the world will end. Change can be so super hard. We get overwhelmed easily. Things are too much to handle. We may have trouble sleeping or sleep too much. We can be chronically tired, feel anxious, depressed, hopeless. We might not enjoy things the way we once did. We also might not feel anything at all. We may feel numb. We can also experience something called disassociation. And that happens to me a lot. For me, it feels like I'm completely disconnected from my whole self, my body, my brain, emotions, and the world. Nothing seems real. I, it feels like I'm having an out-of-body experience. So we can also have angry outbursts fly off the handle. We can experience all or nothing thinking, meaning things are either one way or another, all good or all bad black or white. There are no shades of gray, no in-between. When we feel these things, we often direct our thoughts inward and are angry with ourselves. We can feel stupid, not good enough, that somehow these things are a personal fault or failure on our part. The thought that something is inherently wrong or broken in us can be overwhelming. We constantly measure ourselves against what other people can do, their experiences, and what they can accomplish. That thought of, you know, what they went through was way worse than what I did, and they're fine, is a common line of thinking. We wonder why we can't do the same things. Does any of this sound familiar? First of all, please practice, and it takes practice not measuring your own personal traumatic experiences against anyone else's. Your experiences are your own. They are real and valid and affected you in whatever way they did. It's your personal story. We also never really truly know what another person has been through or what they've had to do in order to be able to function and to fit into whatever our view is of normal. What's normal anyway? There's no cookie cutter to carve out an exact shape of normal. Our views, environment, and experiences shape our vision of what that perfect ideal of normal is, so no one's idea of normal will be the same. Society gives us a kind of template of what it feels is expected of us as human beings but normalized behavior is different for everyone. So when we learn and think about it, our brains and bodies, when in survival mode, are reacting in a completely correct biological way, live or die, fight or flight. These examples are all biologically correct responses and reactions according to our sympathetic nervous system running the show. Remember, again, when the sympathetic nervous system is in charge, we are in survival mode only. 
I know I've said it a lot, but it's an important point. That thinking brain is off. So how can we expect ourselves to feel, act, behave, respond, and function in a way that we feel others that don't have our history of toxic stress and adversity do? Well, we can't. It's not possible. But once we arm ourselves with knowledge about trauma, what it is and what it does, we can begin to make small changes, one tiny baby step at a time. Understanding and being compassionate with yourself is the first baby step. So, for example, if you have a day where doing your best is 20 or 30 percent, then you've done your best at 20 or 30 percent. No one can do more than their best. It just isn't possible. So say that to yourself. I'm doing the best I can. I can't do more than that. And if your best is a day where you stay in bed in your jammies, drink something comforting like a warm cup of soothing tea, binge watching a show, it's okay. It really is. It's something that we felt we needed to do to care for ourselves which is very, very necessary. So think of one small, easy thing you could do to care for yourself daily, if possible. Something simple like drinking an eight ounce glass of water, taking some time to listen to your favorite kind of music. If you like to write, maybe think of just a short sentence and come up with something kind you could say to yourself or out loud. Use, I'm doing my best, and that's okay if that's a good start for you. So to close this out, I want to try a very simple exercise with you if that's okay. And you don't have to do it if you don't want to, but it's something that helps me when I'm feeling stressed or anxious. So take your left hand and straighten it out, fingers extended. Cross your left arm over your chest, and place your hand, fingers extended, under your right armpit. Relax your hand and fingers against your body and make sure the upper part of your right arm is against your left hand under it naturally. Your shoulders should be relaxed. Then cross your right arm over your left arm that is already across your chest and place your right hand on your upper left arm. This is a relaxed movement so it should feel easy. You are giving yourself a purposeful hug. You can squeeze a little if that feels right to you. You can close your eyes while doing this if you choose to. You can take slow, deep breaths in through your nose, then slowly exhale through your mouth if you'd like. You could breathe this way once, or you could do it five times if you wish. You can also Rub your right hand slowly over your left upper arm. Feel the fabric of what you're wearing or feel the skin of your arm if it's bare. You could also move your right hand naturally and place it over your heart if you'd like. You can feel it beating if that's comforting to you. The period of time, how often, and when you do this exercise is also completely up to you if you find it helpful. Also, if you'd like, you could think of a word or a phrase to hold in your mind while you do this. Maybe something kind or meaningful to you. 
Maybe something warm, loving, or reassuring that speaks to your inner self or inner child. Whatever feels right to you, do it. I hope this simple exercise helps in some way. It's just a small tool to add to your personal healing toolbox that we'll begin to build together. I want to thank you so much for your time today and for taking the time to listen. Your coming along on this journey with me is so valuable and important. What you think matters to me too. Let me know your thoughts, comments, suggestions, whatever's on your mind. I've created a Facebook page for this podcast, so search for Invisible Wounds Healing from Trauma and please like and follow me. If you comment, I will answer each and every one. I'm also working on a website and a YouTube channel, so I'll announce them once they're up. You can also find me on Twitter at Walker 58 and my website, enddvnow.com. Remember, if you're in the United States and are in a mental health crisis or just need some support, you can always dial 988. You can get help, resources, or just someone to listen. Look for my new episodes dropping every Monday on your favorite streaming apps and platforms. Thanks again. Take care of yourself and we'll talk soon.